We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Hey, this is Dave. I just realized that I'm having microphone problems, so this podcast was recorded in poor audio quality. I apologize in advance. We should be back to form next week. We're answering Twitter questions set the way of Matt F. The Oracle on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hey everybody, welcome back to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. This episode is brought to you by a number of sponsors. We have Sunday Ticket, Deal Dash, Fan Draft, Bet Online, and the FFPC. So, Matt, that is a that is a stockful episode of sponsorship right there. Uh, I'm wondering if it's possible just to do all of the ad reads at once. Uh, you know, tell people that they can go take a nap and then they can come back uh, and then listen to the show. I mean, ultimately, you're the person in charge of that. I guess you would have final say. That's not how I had I'm, plans. I'm to in do charge it, of but... nothing. We know that. Yes, we. Yes, you are what they might call a figurehead at this point. Right. Uh, not even, not much of a figure or a head. Okay. That's how you know you've arrived though, right? Isn't it? Right. I, I don't know. 
right. So anyway, we got a lot of responses. I was very pleased um, with the responses that came in when we were talking last week about the quarterback wide receiver duos. Oh yeah. I'd say the biggest one that we missed would have been a Manning Harrison yes. duo or a Manning Wayne duo. Yeah. Manning Harrison is the, is the big one. Right. Beyond that, really, the only other ones we got were Ryan and Julio, Roethlisberger, AB. Roethlisberger and AB is big. That's that's also, a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. And then um, Stafford Johnson. I don't think that lasted long enough, but it's noteworthy. And then Rivers Gates was an interesting one to see come in. See, the thing is with Stafford Johnson, it lasted a while, but Stafford on his own, I don't think has like reached the pinnacle where you think of him as being worthy of included. Like of, me, of being included in the list. Like you think, okay, Manning is awesome. Harrison is awesome. You think Roethlisberger, Hall of Famer. Antonio Brown, Hall of Famer. So even though Stafford to Megatron, just in terms of like the raw production was up there with the best of them, just Stafford on his own at a, as a quarterback, at least at this point, doesn't seem like someone who's on that Hall of Fame trajectory. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. Um, so that that's kind of why when I was reading through these, it really came back to Manning Harrison, Big Ben, and AB. I still don't think, though, that those uh, duos can match up to, to Brady and Gronk. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, yes, agreed. Yeah, let's just, let's just keep things moving here. Let's get into the FFPC stat attack of the week. And I am just going to review here. Antonio Gibson's profile player that we have to talk about now that the world is just all into talking about the possibilities of Gibson with the Darius Geis uh, being or Darius Geis being removed from the Washington football team. So Antonio Gibson comes in at 228 pounds, ran a 4-3-9-40, went to Memphis, drafted in the third round at pick 66. Now, he has a lot of, or his profile is kind of mixed between receiving and rushing. We're going to look at his 2019 season, played 13 games, 33 rushing attempts, about 370 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns as a receiver, added 36 receptions, 735 receiving yards, six receiving touchdowns, as a reminder, the FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty, Best Ball, and of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join a league, head to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And of course, we've got a handful of tools at Rotoviz designed specifically for FFPC domination. So... Darius Geis kicked off of the Washington football team's roster uh, in another just terrible case of domestic violence. He's gone. People believe that this opens up completely the backfield for Gibson. You still have Adrian Peterson there for him to, com to compete with. You have Bryce Love, a player that there was a lot of excitement about early in his college career, um, suffered some injuries has been trying to deal with those people aren't as high on him as they used to be. Do you really believe that this backfield is now there for the taking and that one of these guys is going to win it outright? And is it going to be Gibson? Yeah, I mean, Gibson skyrockets in value. I would imagine that early in the season, 
we have a situation where Adrian Peterson is the lead back on the ground. Um, but already from the beginning, Gibson is the guy who's getting the the vast majority of the targets for the running backs uh, and then working in a little bit as a runner. And I imagine he's going to be pretty explosive. Uh, and eventually, because I think he'll be more explosive than Adrian Peterson and because he's more of a well-rounded player, he eventually will get more playing time. But, I mean, there are a few things that are really annoying me about people uh, in the way that they are viewing Antonio Gibson right now. Like one, there's this idea that he had only 33 carries in college. Uh, that kind of ignores a little bit of what he did in, in junior college, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. It also like ignores that um, he was a running back in high school. Like the guy, the guy is a running back. Like he's played running back his whole life, except for, you know, like a, a two year period in college. So that's kind of like, that's one thing. Like he actually is a running back, but two, like people who are saying that he can't run in between the tackles, like maybe, maybe he can't, but I imagine that he probably can. And that's the same stuff that people said about David Johnson five yeah. years ago. Yep. Like yep. it just, it, it doesn't matter. Like whether he's getting three and a half yards between tackles or four and a half yards, like he's probably the best back already on, on Washington. And like the third thing with this is that the draft capital invested in him, like automatically means that he's going to get a shot, you know, like the, the team knew what they had, right? They knew they had Adrian Peterson. They knew they had Darius guys. They had signed Peyton Barber. They knew they had McKissick. They had Bryce love. And they were like, you know what? Let's still go get Antonio Gibson and spend what was it, like the number 66 pick on him. Yep. Like that's a really high pick to spend on a guy. Like he's going to get his shot. And then based on his explosiveness, he's going, he's going to succeed. Or, or let me, let me rephrase. He has a high probability of success given his athleticism, given that he's probably going to get an extended shot and given the production that he had in college, because like you can say in the Tony Pollard role that he had only 33 carries, but it's like, yeah, he had only 33 carries. He had, you know, a limited workload. And he still had a thousand yards and was it like 14 total touchdowns? If you count, I think the return scores, like the dude is the dude is Tony Pollard with better athleticism and everyone is on the Tony Pollard train if Zeke gets injured. So why don't you just assume that Tony Pollard esque type of players in a zero RB perfect type of backfield end up having success? You know, like Antonio Gibson, he's a clear first rounder. In, in rookie drafts immediately, if there are any rookie drafts that are happening. I mean, I think people should be aggressive on him because I think you're going to have to pay up even more later if you want him once he actually starts taking over the backfield. The thing that I thought was interesting about this was as I started looking into the positives that you could look at for Gibson that would line up with the situation that he's now in, uh, I'm actually surprised that people weren't more excited about him to begin with, even pre-draft. Um, like you, I'm not too concerned about the fact that he was being used a lot more as a wide receiver in college. If things were the opposite way, that's a great he thing. Was going... Sorry, by the way, that's a great thing. Yeah, right. So you know, like if if things were the opposite way and he was transitioning from running back to wide receiver, then I'd be concerned. In this case, I'm not that concerned. Um, also, the important thing that i want to focus on also is it's not like there's wide receivers they have that 
would negate his usage as a receiver. So we're bringing yeah. in this really dynamic player. So, you know, if you remove the competition that you'd have from Geis, who maybe could have challenged a little bit as a receiver, definitely in the running game, now you could be looking at a guy that, if things break really well, is getting heavily utilized. Uh, I do have some reservation just because of that offense in totality and not thinking it's going to be one that functions that greatly. Uh, but this does give an option as long as his ADP doesn't rise up too much where you are kind of getting, we're all getting a gift in that this is a player who we weren't expecting to have. And yes, you're losing the possibility of Geis, but with them both competing for time in the Washington backfield, neither one was going to be able to realize what Gibson could. By the way, so I should say I misspoke uh, earlier when I said that um, in junior college, he was a running back. Uh, he wasn't. He was actually a receiver. He, he did have a little bit of usage as a runner, but it's worth noting yep. that uh, as a freshman and sophomore, even though he was playing in junior college, he actually led his team in receiving both seasons. And uh, I mean, it's it's a question as to how much weight you actually want to put on junior college statistics. But at age 18, as a freshman, he had 39.1 of his team's receiving yards and 37.5 of his team's receiving touchdowns. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, that sounds like the kind of player you want, regardless of the position that he's playing. Right. But I do think, though, because I, I like. I am behind the if you t if you say to me, Dave, you have to pick like, are you pro Gibson now or anti Gibson? I'm definitely on the pro side, but I do think that it's worth taking a step back and kind of contextualizing this. If we know that the Washington team is going to have a player that's more or less like a lead running back outside of who that player is, how valuable is that position and how much of the excitement for Gibson just comes from the player that he inherently is. Because like I said, I don't remember quite as much excitement before he found himself into this role. So in your perspective, you know, kind of evaluate or give us a sense of, of for your excitement, how much of this level is just who he is as a player and how much of it is the fact that this fantasy position is now available. And I know you kind of already talked about that, but yeah, I mean, I already wanted him all over the place. Um, you know, so I, I, it's hard to say, you know, like I was already enthusiastic about him, but I mean, the fact is he now gets a shot, like he has a, a clear path and he probably already had something of a clear path because, you know, like guys has played what, like five games in two years, you know, like yeah. Gibson was, was going to get his shot, but certainly a lot of the enthusiasm comes from just who he is, uh, as a prospect, uh, in, in what he did in college. Um, but then, yeah, you know, part of it is the fact that he's also, you know, now, uh, going to have this, I think, pretty clear opportunity, like Adrian Peterson will be able to hold them off for a little bit, but I still don't see Peterson at the end of the season, having more yards from scrimmage than Antonio Gibson. Like it, it might happen, but I just, I don't expect that it will happen. Yeah. So I wanted to quickly um, hit on th this next topic here. Um, we have prospects like Rondell Moore opting out of playing the college season. There actually are probably discussions going on about what the college football season is going to look like if it actually gets played as we're recording this on Sunday night. Uh, how is this going to impact your prospect evaluation process? 
how are we going to think about this if the season does happen? We have some players that have played this COVID season and others that haven't as we head into the draft next year. Yeah. So one right now, I'm just kind of assuming that there's not going to be a football season. Yeah. Uh, and then two, that even if we have a, a football season, a lot of the high, like high quality top tier guys aren't going to be playing in it. Um, that said, and that, that second point kind of feeds into the third point. Um, a lot of those guys are ones who have already broken out. Uh, and so they either broke out as freshmen or sophomores. Uh, and that's kind of the thing that we focus on most anyway. So someone like Rondell Moore, who broke out as an 18-year-old true freshman, I kind of almost didn't even care what he did this year. You know, like as long as it was decent, it was going to be fine. Uh, and so it doesn't matter to me at all that uh, he's that he's not playing. Um, the guys who haven't broken out, um, maybe you kind of have to mentally adjust a little bit um, if they sit out. But I mean, I think for the most part, the guys who are sitting out are going to be the guys who have already broken out. And so it really doesn't matter much for them. And then the guys who break out now, you just kind of think of them as like the one year breakouts. And that's how you evaluate them anyway, like the same way you would basically evaluate any one year breakout. Yeah, I've seen some people say things about how this is going to like blow up the analytics process. Um, but in my opinion, it really doesn't because it, we're just going to be doing what we've always done, which is just using the information that you have available for a player to make your assumptions. Yeah. And like you said, it's going to be the players that were kind of on the fence of being able to make the leap to the NFL where things develop for them later. So when you're separating players out of the buckets of where you're going to be ranking them, I think that we're already going to have this kind of natural selection like you said where those top level players are going to be in their own group and most of those guys aren't going to be playing anyway uh really the only thing you would have is the knock that you're going to have on these players so like if rondale moore did decide to go back to school played and had a really bad season and then you're going to use that to kind of chip away at his profile but i think we rarely have situations where you're going to entirely negate what a player would have done early on in his career because of those seasons so, like you said, this might not come to pass, but I don't think it throws the analytics all out the window. Uh, we might just not have as much information available as we did in the past. Um, how much that matters, we'll have to see depending on the specifics of the players that end up not playing um, versus the ones that do. I was also pumped to get a couple of uh, messages about walk-up songs that people would use for their fantasy drafts when they are using fan draft the fantasy football online draft board that we talked about last week, it really allows you to take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level. Again, this is fan draft, really cool product. Uh, it just makes your draft feel like the NFL draft. They have features such as uh, a streaming ticker, a live draft clock. You can include custom logos. There's the team walk-up songs. Um, Matt said that his team would be probably be playing something by tool. You can have multiple draft board displays and more you can use it offline for in-person drafts uh you can put the display up on to a large screen tv or projector you can have everybody just looking up at the ticker and all of the features you can also use it online too which is great as a lot of people now probably aren't able to get together for that in-person draft but i think this is a way you keep the excitement going you can also perform traditional auction style drafts uh, FanDraft also supports IDP, so those players are in there, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league requirements. Go check it out, fandraft.com. Um, 
when you're ready to order the pro account, make sure when you sign up that you use Rotovis 15. That will save you 15% off your purchase. So go think about what your walk-up song is going to be. Go to fandraft.com and use the promo code ROTOVIZ15 to save 15%. I was pretty lazy this weekend, Matt. I uh, had put off the process of building a show sheet for us. I saw on Twitter that you had said to people you had 30 minutes and that you're going to take questions. I have just outsourced those questions. I felt like this also may make the hours of preparation that you normally put into the show a little bit easier and made the question process easier on me. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that? Do you think you can take this challenge on? It's, uh, it's totally fine, yes. Okay. So um, rank Marlon Mack, Carrion Johnson, and Philip Lindsay in Dynasty. Um, I really don't want to. I think I already answered this question on, on Twitter, by the way. But I would say um, these guys are all ones I really don't want. But uh, if I had to take uh, had to take them and rank them, I would say in Dynasty, I prefer Lindsey um, because we still know that he's relatively young. I think he's actually pretty decent as a runner, and he should improve as a receiver. Carry um, on Johnson, I think, might be done after this season. Uh, Marlon Mack, who knows what's going to happen? Wait, when him. you say done, what, what exactly do you mean by done? like uh like out of the league like really i don't know we haven't seen we haven't seen anything from him like he feels like he could just be one of those like disappointing guys who does nothing and then just somehow doesn't end up on a team okay but all right i mean maybe maybe i'm wrong but it feels like he's not going to be a lead guy um and you know if that's the case he had didn't he actually say he's okay with that too right so like he's had four years of not being a lead guy, you know, like by the time his contract is over, like who's yeah. really going to be interested in signing him. And even if he does get signed, like, why does that matter for fantasy? Yep. You know, and, and Marlon Mack is right there. Uh, I think he's going to have some usage this year, but who knows what happens with him uh, on his second contract. So I would go Lindsey Mack and then carry on. Okay. Uh, who do you prefer in order in half point and full PPR best ball? Uh, let's just let's just take this to full PPR. So who yeah. do you prefer in PPR best ball? Devontae Parker, Michael Gallup, Marquise Brown, or Will Fuller? I would go Fuller first. Um, and I think I would probably prefer him even if it's not best ball. But best ball, I think, helps him even more uh, because of the volatility. And then I would go with Gallup. Um, I I like Gallup a lot this year. I like that entire Cowboys offense this year. And I don't see, you know, much of a difference. I mean, there is a difference, but there might not be much of a difference between Cooper and Gallup. Um, and then I would go with Marquise Brown, uh, although I'm a little bit worried about him. Uh, the I mean, there were the stories about him putting on weight. And so, like, who knows how fast he's going to be with the extra weight, but that's probably just a story to ignore. So I'm going to say Hollywood third and then Devonte Parker fourth. Okay. I think that I would put Parker ahead of Brown. Um, the Gallup and Fuller piece is really hard um, because if I knew Will Fuller, and this is such lazy analysis at this point, was going to play the whole season, I probably would say him. I do think, you know, there's there, there's more potential for him to put up, you know, he, those huge weeks, obviously. 
than Gallup. But I do worry that Gallup could end up being the third best receiver on his team because I do like seeding Lamb that much. Um, but it's pro- probably somewhere in that order, like you said, for me. What are you doing with the Packer receiving core? This one we've talked about before, Matt, how we don't think that there's that much value to really be you know, taken out of that Packers receiving core besides Devontae Adams. Has that opinion changed at all? No, not at all. I mean, I don't have much interest in Alan Lazard, um, even though apparently he is soulmates with Aaron Rodgers. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, for the most part, it's Devontae Adams. And I think, you know, you feel comfortable taking him in the first round, you know, wherever you have the opportunity to do that, you know, unless you're in a position where you're like, you know, I just really want to go with a running back here and, you know, whatever. But uh, Devontae Adams, I think a a very acceptable first round pick and you don't worry about him when you draft him. But other than that, uh, I think you stay away from all of those wide receivers. And maybe like in the deepest dynasty formats, you nibble on Jace Sternberger. But um, I mean, really, it's not like that's something to be super excited about. So, I mean, I think it's Devontae Adams. Got it. Why do you see zero running back guys take extra wide receivers with their last few picks? Wouldn't it serve them better to stack more running back shots? As if their early wide receivers don't work, that team is in bad shape. Anyways, what this person I think is getting at here is why do some people that draft zero running back still take wide receivers at the end of the draft? Um, I don't think that the the second thought of that really matters. Uh, the you know like if their early wide receivers don't work, that team is in bad shape. Anyways, um, I think if your wide receivers didn't work, you would still need them. So I'm I'm not really going to focus on that point, but. What was your, I don't know if you responded to this one, but what was no, your response? That was, uh, that was one that slipped through the cracks. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess I would say that if there are zero RB drafters taking extra wide receivers near the end of the draft, uh, it's um, maybe two things. One, uh, they just like the value of those wide receivers and, uh, you know, kind of regardless of what their strategy is early on. Um, they're just taking the guys that they think provide the most value and maybe like the most upside. Um, mm-hmm. however it is that they're, you know, valuing it. Uh, they just find those players a little more attractive. Um, and I would say that I get the idea, like the, the question of, um, wouldn't it be better for them to go with more running backs if their strategy is zero RB early on? And I guess I, I get that, but I think if you're looking at some of the wide receivers available at the end of the draft versus the running backs available there, some of those wide receivers still might have a chance of being fantasy viable. And so they would probably still be the guys who are worth taking. Whereas um, some of those running backs, like they're third or fourth on the depth chart. And it's just, it's not that they don't have a shot. It's just some of those wide receivers might actually have a better shot at being fantasy viable. Yeah, so I think that's exactly where I would go with this. What it comes down to, and this is supported by, and I, like I said last week, I know it's not the same when you look at best ball win rates and you try to carry those over to redraft leagues. But what we have seen is you do reach a certain point where if you're grabbing running backs in the later rounds, um, the odds that those guys hit are so much lower than the wide receivers you're getting in the same range. So though your team is going to need running backs, you know that the probability that the backs you're drafting then are, will actually contribute to your team is so low 
that it just makes more sense to take those wide receivers who, like you said, could become relevant. Uh, and then the other thing I think that's important as well is you take those wide receivers, you just kind of flush through them. Whereas with, because you have a pretty good idea after, you know, the first three or four weeks, what their season's going to look like. A lot of these zero running back type of guys, you're not going to know who it's going to be till later on in the season. So you kind of don't really want to carry that dead weight. So it's kind of those things all grouped together. Um, and then also, if you want to go down the rabbit hole more with this, for Rotoviz readers out there, Sean has, um, in some of his articles, talked about how, you know, if you're going zero running back, that doesn't mean that you toss in, you know, eight late round running backs. It might just mean that you grab those four or five guys that are the prototypical zero running back type of target because it is rare that you see the fourth guy on the depth chart be able to make that jump. A lot of it, um, a lot of the other considerations just breaks breaks down to the way that the season unfolds, which are things that are very hard to account for um, in those very late round players. So we are going to step away quickly here for um, a couple of messages from our sponsors. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home, decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means that every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an exclusive extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to dealdash.com and use the promo code RotoViz or dealdash.fm forward slash RotoViz. That's D E A L D A S H dot FM forward slash RotoViz. Matt, you were asked a question <laughs> about a PPR auction 12 team league with a $200 budget. They get to keep one Lamar Jackson at $3 or Miles Sanders at $10. It's a one quarterback league. When you saw auction, did it immediately make your stomach just, you know, like start to feel sick to itself? And did you respond to this one? Uh, I didn't respond to this. I didn't see it. I think it was one that was far enough down that uh, I just, my 30 minutes or 40 minutes, however long I was answering questions, it was up. So I just didn't see it. Um, I would. And granted, this is coming from someone who knows uh, very little about uh, auction strategy. Um, yep. I think I would rather keep Miles Sanders at $10, uh, $10 since it's a one quarterback league and hope that I could get uh, the next, you know, Lamar type of impact yep. quarterback, uh, you know, for a relatively cheap amount of money, like $1. 
Yeah, this one, it's 100% Miles Sanders at $10. The reason being, and I don't really need to even know the specifics of number of teams, um, you know, what other players might have been priced at. I can tell you that Miles Sanders is probably at least two and a half, probably more like three times under what you would see for a player like him. Whereas Lamar is probably... It's possible that Lamar and Miles Sanders go for around the same dollars in a league. But the thing is, that is such an inflated price on Lamar because you're probably going to see guys like Russell Wilson, um, Deshaun Watson go for under $10. And in a lot of these leagues, you can get guys like Dak Prescott for just a couple of dollars and other players that will start for just $1. So the savings that you're getting taking Sanders here are so much better than those that you're getting taking Lamar. I understand in the context of Lamar, you're getting him at a discount, but compared to what you could get at the other quarterbacks, you're not really setting your team up that more advantageously than if you took this money on Sanders because you're going to then have to go out if you did want this running back like Sanders and probably spend a lot of money. Um, To really believe that Tom Brady can support multiple fantasy receivers i guess they're asking do you believe brady can support multiple fantasy receivers i will uh probably argue to the death here if you say no um i guess it depends on kind of what you mean by support um yep so i think that evans and godwin both have really high floors uh which you know obviously that's a good thing and that's what you want out of the guys you're drafting early on but I could see both of them falling short of their ADP. Um, so I could see both guys having a thousand yards receiving, uh, but they don't, you know, go all that much over that. And both of them have touchdown regression from where they were last year. Um, so that would mean that they both fall short of their ADPs. That doesn't mean that they were bad picks and they could both be supported by Brady, but I don't think that they are both league winners. You know, like I don't think right. they both meet their ADP. I interpret this as, I would say, multiple fantasy receivers. I think that just means he gets, you know, two players in the top 36. And I also, so there's also the possibility of a tight end getting in there in the top 12 at his position, which seems pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, I would would say, you're trying to take this the next step. Yeah. I would say, yes. The odds of Evans and Godwin and Gronk all finishing as fantasy viable or fantasy useful players, uh, those odds are pretty decent. But, I could see all of them falling short of ADP. Okay, that I won't disagree with. Um, let's let's just move along though. So, um, would you hold on to Calvin Ridley on a rebuilding dynasty roster as a centerpiece, probably this person's second best player behind Clyde Edwards-Helaire, or look to break him into a few unproven younger pieces? So, I guess this basically boils down to. At this point, do you view Calvin Ridley as one of these centerpiece types of players that you build your team around, or do you kind of divest him to bring in that youth and try to get a player that could be a centerpiece? Uh, I'm fine holding him. Uh, I mean, I guess every player is tradable, so I guess it just depends on what you get for him, but getting something unproven doesn't seem all that tempting. Um, I would just need to know a little bit more what those pieces are, but Ridley on his own, is I think someone worth building around. Um, I don't think he's going to become like Chris Godwin or something like that. I know people are talking about like the ability that he might have to make that third year leap, 
But uh, on his own, like, I think he's pretty good. It wouldn't be surprising if he had a top 12 season. Uh, I think Matt Ryan should, you know, continue to be useful for at least a few more seasons. Um, so I think Ridley has a pretty stable environment there. And, you know, he was a first rounder who did well in college and has done well in the NFL. Like, he's someone you want to build around. The, the thing that does make it a little bit interesting that you could maybe bring in from the perspective of saying try to move him if you're getting, in addition to those younger pieces, some high draft picks in next year's draft because it does look like there's going to be a lot of very talented wide receivers, arguably one of the best classes that we've seen in a while. You know, Granted, it was a very talented class this year. Would that kind of factor into your thinking on this at all? Not really. I mean, okay, so I'm looking at the Rotoviz dynasty rankings. I'm not sure the last time they were updated. Just you know, kind they of have cap, to be updated statement. within. Yeah, they have to be updated within the last two weeks to display on the site. Okay, so uh, I see Calvin Ridley is ranked as the number 14 fantasy uh, dynasty wide receiver. Honestly, that feels a little bit low, but we'll just say that's kind of like the vicinity of where he should should be going. Um. He's, you know, one spot ahead of DK Metcalf. Like, I don't know. That seems like the kind of guy you want to build around. Okay. Um, I think we had one more question that I wanted to talk to you about. We had talked about Antonio Brown. I forget exactly when it was. We now know it's an eight-game suspension. How high can one go and draft him? Because you did talk about him as a player that you would be more than willing to toss onto your teams at some point in the draft. Now that we have a better idea of when he actually could be available, what are you thinking? I'm a little, uh, I'm a little pessimistic now. Um, before I was thinking it might be around four games. I thought it might be a little bit easier for him to be signed, or I thought after suspension stuff happened, he might be signed faster. Um, so I don't know, maybe around, I don't know, 15, something like that. I mean, I think you can get him pretty late near the end of your draft. I would do it more for redraft than for best ball because, you know, taking the um, taking the zero from him for eight games is a little bit painful and you can't drop him. Um, you know, whereas if he doesn't sign with a team at, at the beginning of the season, I think you just drop him then. So let me ask you about that, because I can imagine some people thinking that statement that you just made is actually counterintuitive. You talked about taking the zero for him in best ball, but I'm sure there's people out there saying, well, wait, why does it matter in best ball? Because all of my other receivers are going to be the ones that can contribute. Can you explain that? Yeah. Um, so if you are taking the zero from him for eight weeks and you really might be taking the zero for all 16 weeks. Um, yeah, what you're shooting for is upside, but um, at a certain point, you also do want to have players who are just giving you points because uh, that will still be useful. Like there will be weeks where you end up having, you know, just kind of lackluster performances from some of your other players. And if you have someone who, you know, is just kind of st steady around like seven points or whatever it is, like that might end up counting. Uh, and it might be useful, but you know, Antonio Brown giving you eight games of nothing at a minimum in best ball, uh, with the possibility of 16, like, I think that's just too much. Yeah. So I, I think the other thing that's somewhere in that statement too, is the opportunity cost of selecting Brown, because if you're in a redraft league and you have this dead weight on your roster for eight weeks and you're realizing 
that, oh my God, like this team is not doing what I thought it would. I need to do something to try to bring in some players that could contribute. You can just drop Brown and move on. Whereas for the best ball team, you're locked in for those eight weeks. You're not getting any contribution from that roster spot where maybe if you don't select Brown, you're getting a guy that has the possibility at least of, of contributing in those first eight weeks. And then there's also the uncertainty, uh, especially at this point of, does Brown end up doing something else that gets him suspended? What's the team like where he goes to? Um, so I think that opportunity cost is a big piece as well. Yeah, I, I agree. You said it much better than I did. All right. Well, I appreciate that. So um, we will be back later in the week. Um, we're going to have a slightly different show than this one, but we hope that you will join us. Um, a cool development on the site that we just finished rolling out uh, this weekend, I forget if it was Friday. It doesn't matter when we finished it. But anyways, if you go to Rotoviz now, we have Rotoviz news. There's headlines at the top of the page um, that you can use to stay on top of all of the NFL player news. I think it's a pretty cool addition to the site. So please check that out. Uh, if you're a radio Rotoviz radio listener, you can receive 10% off of a one-year Rotoviz subscription by applying the discount code 2020RV Radio at checkout go check out the uh rotoviz.com forward slash podcast page we have more information there as well that does it for this episode of rotoviz radio follow us on twitter at dave caben ff and at matt fd oracle thanks to sunday ticket deal dash the ffpc and fan draft for sponsoring the show and remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See why see what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Pandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.